Welcome back to Project Outsiders. If you are returning, thank you so much for coming back and tuning into our podcast. We really appreciate all of your support, joining us along on our journey to improving the foster care system. For those who are new here, welcome to the Foster Care Experience Podcast. We are a youth-led social organization that is trying to bridge the gap between youth and care with decision makers. In today's episode, we really wanted to kind of get to know and to talk with people who have experienced the foster care system with a physical disability. When an individual navigates the world with a physical disability, they're always constantly having to adapt to the obstacles put in their path to continue to survive. And today we want to learn about how people with disabilities experience the child welfare system. What are the barriers that they face due to their disabilities? Do they have enough services and supports in place to accommodate for their needs? Today we have Gabe. Please correct me with your last name. Is it Brokenshire? Yeah, you're actually one of the first people to actually get that right. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Gabe is a 22-year-old and he's currently studying child and youth care at Lambton College. He aged out of the foster care system just last year and he was born in Toronto, but he says that he was raised everywhere else. He wants to not only share his voice to those who are willing to listen, but also like to share the voice of the people who feel unheard. Today, he'll be giving us a very unique perspective on his journey in the child welfare system while living with a disability. And without any further ado, here is Gabe to tell us more. I kind of wanted to maybe start off and ask you, would you be able to let the viewers know a little bit about what is your current physical disability? I have cerebral palsy. Now, the really weird thing about cerebral palsy is it's such a big spectrum. There is some people when they hear that, they're like, oh, so what does that look like? And for some, that looks like not being able to use your arms, being a full quadriplegic, being paralyzed. It's a birth defect. And uh, don't quote me on anything because it's not like I have a manual beside me. Um, But it's a it's a birth defect in the sense of especially happens around if you're premature. And for me, what ended up happening was uh, when I was born, I died. And so when, when I died, a bunch of oxygen got cut off and um like the the nerve to my brain that tells my body to balance and uh if i could if i could put it in a way that would be easiest to describe my body kind of likes to do its own thing if i if you tell your foot to tap right it just kind of taps if i tell my hand to move it just moves right with cerebral palsy my body gets to decide when it responds. So sometimes I get that ability to just do it. Or sometimes my hand's like, absolutely not. We're not moving. What happens with my legs is I don't have balance. I can stand, but balance is not a uh, instinctual thing for me. I have to hold myself up mm-hmm. um, constantly and... Uh, Basically, my legs just that they they tend to lose strength more than they gain. So it's like a it's like a constant balancing it. There's just a lot to unpack with it because it is such a broad spectrum. Like I've 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 had friends of mine who've had the same condition and who have passed away, 
and it's uh it's so weird because I, I I even asked the doctors, I'm like, why is it the same condition if there's people dying from that? And he's like, oh, because there's such a big scale. But at this point, I don't really know what's what's different about me because I because it's such a broad, crazy spectrum. I don't usually identify with a particular disability. Okay. I just tend to. Uh, say that uh, my legs are crap they uh they don't always listen to me and the rest of our body you know it doesn't always listen to me either mm-hmm. i'm sorry i didn't mean to go off on a tangent but uh, that's <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of my take on it <laughs> i adore you you don't have to apologize like i enjoy just listening the whole point of a podcast is to go off on tangents <laughs> really i guess yeah <laughs> I'm kind of curious. So the majority of your life, you've had to be dependent on other people, right? Oh, yeah. So I grew up in a house with many brothers, all brothers. So my 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 mom only had two kids, myself and my older brother. But then uh, met a, a guy who had um, two kids of his own. So... Um, we ended up all living together at some point in our life, which was chaos. At that point, I was the I was the second youngest, I think. Right when they they moved out and they separated, I ended up being the youngest again. So I've always had this uh, weird thing. My mother and my brother were taking care of this poor disabled kid, right? Like this, that was the that was the vision that society put on me right yeah. um, I didn't have to do much because I was going to live with my mom till I was 34 and my brother was this amazing human being for uh you know having a disabled younger brother and yeah. you know it sounds really good on paper right like you got a big supportive cast and a big family and everybody's you know here to help but obviously it wasn't like that hence why I ended up in the system I had to kind of figure out my own expectations Mm -hmm. because everybody was trying to decide my expectations for me as a result of my disability and I'm just like you know what I I don't like this and I think for the longest time and I, I don't want to sound like I'm being negative here but I was a really dumb kid because so was I yeah, and it especially came on how people spoke to me because they would talk down to somebody like me because they're like, oh, his, his legs don't work. There must be something wrong with his brain, right? And uh, I don't know. I, To my knowledge, there's nothing wrong with me. I, I could do stupid things sometimes, but uh, I, I think I'm pretty good. When you live a life, with people consistently and constantly talking down to you and belittling everything you do. And, you know, you you go into a room and they're like, oh my God, he's so cute. Or can I give you a high five? And I'm just like, I don't want to touch you. I'm a germaphobe. That's gross. <laughs> you either rise above that or join them on that level. Yeah. So I, I just, I, I didn't even realize there were being jackasses to me until, you know, I got old enough to even know what that was. <laughs> yeah. That's so fascinating. And like, I really, 
I respect you so much for that. Like you didn't want to just be labeled by your disability. You wanted to be like everybody else because of your situation. People kind of like took away that power from you and started to make assumptions based off of the first thing that they saw and they viewed of you. And like, I know there's a lot of other people who could relate to that, especially in the child welfare system. The second that you're somebody who is like in poverty or just like vulnerable, people just view you as powerless. And it's a whole other level for people with disabilities because it's visible, right? And you can't hide from that. And so that's that's really interesting. Like, did that change at all when you were put into care or was that just a consistent thing? I think it actually got worse when I went into care because okay. I had a, a tragedy story behind me at this point. Uh, I, my family grew up in poverty, right? So I, I understand on, on that level what it was like to have people consistently look at you like you were just, you know, in the way of society. Yeah. Right? And then when I went into care, and I, I, that's my cat. <laughs> I love it. Uh, you'll see him throughout the podcast. So <laughs> when I went into care, though, and I had this big tragic story about how I ended up in care, not only was, did I have the story of being disabled, being in poverty, but I had the story of not having a family, yeah. right? people were like oh my gosh I don't know how you do it you're such an inspiration and I'm very 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 careful when I use the word inspiration given the fact that I have a disability it's all I've ever known right Mm -hmm. every second I woke up I, I I've never been able to walk right and so when I do basic things in life it's because it's something I've always known and then I'll go in public and people will be like, well, you're an inspiration. And I'm like, inspiration for what? And they're like, you can do your own groceries. And I'm like, what? Don't, like, don't, can't you do that? Like, yeah. It's- and it's, it's, I understand what they're trying to say because yeah. I see a weakness. But for me, it's not a weakness. It's just something I know. The yeah. only reason I built it in my head as a weakness is because that's what society identifies as a weakness. Yes. You start to think there's something wrong with you when the majority of people consistently identify that there's an issue in your life. And you might have not even seen it as an issue because when I was a kid, I wanted to be a race car driver like everybody else. I wanted to, you know, play sports like everybody else I was so so dense on how I couldn't you know do anything that I uh I tried to join the school soccer team and I and I and I got in (laughs) and I was so I, I just did not care about the fact that I couldn't do it not because I was trying to be a motivation it's because I didn't realize how scary life was about to be. Yeah. So I just lived every second like I was everybody else. And then I was consistently reminded that there was something wrong with me, even when I got into care. And that brings me into my next point. 
and I need to be careful because I do absolutely love this foster family that I was with. But there was one thing that was said to me. They said, when I, when I die and go to heaven, I'll be able to walk. God will heal me. And I always thought that was really, really annoying because that would mean that there was something inherently wrong with me, right? Mm. And, and I can't just identify as being different. I'm so, there's something so wrong with me that when I die and go to heaven, I can't just vibe in heaven. I have to be healed first. You know what I mean? And then I asked my um, um, foster parent, and this is not to knock anybody's belief, um, but I said, uh, I was raised that God was perfect and God mm -hmm. made me this way for a reason. So if he goes and he heals me in heaven, then he's either messed up or on something <laughs> or it wasn't for any reason. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Wow. And, and people always tend to, you know, try to backtrack with those kind of things. I've had so many people come up to me and pray for me and try to heal me. What I've consistently gathered from that is I didn't realize there was something wrong with me or there was something that needed to be healed. But society has identified that being in a wheelchair is a tragedy. Being in a wheelchair is a sad story. It's not just, for me, it's like being born with black hair. I happen to be born with black hair and I happen to be in a wheelchair. We're not gonna have those, those groups where, you know, everybody's bonding and talking about their hardship. I don't go to, you know, disability support groups because I don't see the need of it because I don't think it's an issue. It's yeah. only an issue when society makes it an issue. This reminds me so heavily of this one, I think it was a TED talk by this woman by the name of, I just searched her up, uh, Chaman, I'm going to butcher her name. I apologize. <laughs> Chimanda Adichie. And it's called The Single Story. And basically the point of like her talk was that people only view you by your appearance and has increased the single story about you. Like the single story for somebody like you was like you're disabled, you're powerless, you're incapable of being anything more than your disability. And that's kind of just like been so like very difficult and heavy. I think one thing that people could take away from this is that people with a disability and yes, people who live in poverty, that's not all who they are. There's so much more to them and they have so much more capabilities. If you just took the time and to, and opened yourself up to know more than just your assumptions of them, then you would be so much more satisfied with like, what he would find out about that particular person or what about that particular culture and so on. I identify as an asshole, right? Um, so <laughs> I, I, I say that because I, I have a really wild sense of humor, right? I am the first one to laugh at a disabled joke. I am the first one to laugh at the most inappropriate jokes. And people are like, that's not funny, man. You shouldn't be laughing at it. And I'm like, That's exactly why I'm laughing at it. Because 
I've had people consistently look at me horribly, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes the worst way to, you know, be offensive is by just nonverbal communication, right? And I got that so many times. Nobody wanted to say something mean about the disabled guy, but everybody looked at him funny. Yeah. Right. And no, it was, it was really taboo to say anything offensive, but you could scoff and get annoyed or, you know, just the energy of the room would change if somebody didn't like me. Right. Yes. If, if, uh, somebody did something for me other people would be like why why did why did this person get that right but they all do it without anybody even knowing because nobody actually says anything so what i do with my humor is i'll walk in there like i'll identify as you know the most offensive way you could call somebody a disabled guy given given the situation depending on like the environment and it just kind of says i know that you're uncomfortable and so let's break that mm-hmm. and i do that by being so uncomfortable and so ready to just joke about those awful things that people have to break that uncomfortability i don't really know how to describe yeah. it i'll give an example right my, my jokes are very responsive, right? And if somebody says, you know, Gabe, uh, you know, it might be good to get a, go for a walk and uh, take a breather. I'll act super offended a bit, excuse me? And, and really kind of embarrass them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, I'm just messing with you, right? Or uh, like, um, I don't know, if, if I'm doing something risky, I'll be like, you know, I'm already disabled. What's the worst that can happen? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, oh or, I would have or, so much anxiety. Yeah, yeah. With you. <laughs> and, um, I remember a kid came up to me and uh, he asked me what was wrong with me. Those were the words. And uh, I think I get that all the time. And I used to be so embarrassed. What was What is wrong with you has such a negative connotation to it you hear that and you're like, oh boy, right? Like I've had that consistently in my life. And so I just said, you know, you know the story about the stork? My stork dropped me. Oh. Yeah. And so that's how I ended up crippled. Wow. And, and everybody <laughs> hears that and they're like, oh. <laughs> and I, I'm just like, that's so, so awful. Um, and I'm not telling anybody to do this, but um, I always post random things on Facebook um, yeah. that are just so insensitive about my own life being in a wheelchair, right? Like, I'll be like, uh, you know, the silver lining of being in a wheelchair is I'll never have to experience stepping on a leg. Uh, <laughs> uh, or, uh, um, um, I, I, I made one, I made one where I'm like, uh, you know, I've always wanted to play in sports and do all these crazy things like playing basketball and be a, be a soccer player. But there's just something that 
is really in my way and something that just it's frustrating and sometimes I wake up and I get really mad and I worry about it and I'm just like I just I'm more of a baseball guy (laughs) (laughs) I'm dead I'm dead yo I love that I love that that like it, it makes me think and reflect on like you know things in my life and and how like quite frankly I need to learn how to just not take things so seriously and make light of it you know and you do that like so well and I I respect that there's always going to be that person in the room that doesn't like you for you being you man I've had I've been that guy where I'm just like that person has a nasty vibe to them yeah (laughs) you know everybody you know everybody has judgmental moments in their life if you don't you're 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 an angel but like I've 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 been in a room where even another disabled guy has walked in and I'm like man it must suck to not be able to walk (laughs) (laughs) I'm dead because because society looks at like I said society looks at difference and they don't see it as a teaching point Mm-hmm. They see it as a, oh my gosh, I, I need to like be better. I need to, I need to feel sorry, right? And I feel, yeah. you know, this is more of an ending point, which I'm not ending anything. But mm-hmm. I think my main thing is if people just kind of went into a situation where they're different um, and saw a difference and treated it more as a teaching point and less of a judgment stance or an analytical stance mm-hmm. on, what oh my gosh what's it like to be in a wheelchair oh my gosh what's it like to be a part of this community or a part of that community or whatever yeah. it may be I, like, I I always say um you know I always say to people when they ask me wild questions like man it must really suck to be in a wheelchair and I'm just like imagine if I went into your car and I said wow it must really suck to be black <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> People are like, "What the heck did you just say?" And I'm like, right? Well, like, like, man, I just went to the grocery store, and you're telling me, man, am yeah. I sucked to be in a wheelchair? And I'm like, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> there's aspects of it I don't enjoy, but I'm not really thinking about that. Yeah. It's like just talk to me like a human. Like, why do you always have to bring this up? Can we right. just move past it? You know, so let me ask you, um, what do you think has been some of your biggest challenges like um, that you have to face due to your disability, like while in the foster care system specifically? And like, did you get that kind of like any support really uh, from Children's Aid? Oh, um, no, this is this is a dangerous question because I read it. It's it's going to sound like I'm dismantling my agency like crazy. Uh I hated hated with a passion how this my disability was handled for uh, 90% of how I was in care until that you know back end of when I was leaving care because uh-huh. it was it was like I was put on a pedestal in a sense because it was like oh my gosh I'm a disabled kid in care we got to 
we got to do everything right and make sure we do this and make sure we do that and make sure we do that. And then there was really nothing done. <laughs> um, and I find it really interesting because like everything was taken into consideration about my disability, but not about my identity, not about my race, not about my creed, mm. not about, you know, my school, my friendship group everything was put on the back burner, right? Um, like my, I, my mom, my, my grandma um, is from Trinidad and my mom, um, my mom is, is black. And people will be like, wow, that's crazy. But uh, for me, I, I didn't have my, my, my biological dad around. So I grew up um, in a, full black household and people are like oh that's so weird but nobody ever knew that because they knew I had a wheelchair first you know what I mean yeah nobody knew anything about me identity wise and it was such a wild concept to them that I was anything else than what they could see yes I I look more white than I do uh my mom but if you put me and my mom side by side, you know she's my mom. If you put me and my dad side by side, you think we're twins, right? Uh, he's got some really strong genes, it's weird. But what I'm saying is I grew up everywhere. When I say I grew up everywhere, it's because my mom was in a lot of relationships. And as a result, we've had to, we, we've, we've moved all around the province. Right. I've mm-hmm. been in Toronto. I've been in Barrie. I've been in Sarnia. I've been in Aurelia. I've been back in Sarnia. Um, I've been to Kettle Point. Right. Um, I've been to Kamlaki. Right. It's all, all these different areas where I didn't build a base of community. Right? Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't blame my mom for it. Um, me and my mom are a lot closer now that I'm well now that I'm not living there um, um, but uh, it's uh, that when when the agency was handling my disability um, that's all they were handling mm-hmm. uh, they weren't handling anything else when I went into my first foster home it was super religious and it was like you're gonna die if you don't go to church and I'm just like I, I don't I don't I don't feel that. Like I don't, uh, again, I'm not knocking anybody's religion. It's just that I don't share. It. Yeah. And I didn't feel like that was respected and yeah. nobody cared because it was like, well, this place is accessible for you. Right. Um, it would be a, a two hour bus ride to school because I refused to go to any other school because that's where my community was. That's, mm-hmm. where, that's I didn't have a lot of friends in high school, but the people I did, is what kept me actually going to high school. And things like that weren't even considered because they were trying way too hard to consider something that I could have easily adapted, right? Like when I was living with my mom, we lived in an apartment building on the top floor that didn't have an elevator. (laughs) What? That didn't have an elevator? No elevator. Um, and people are like, oh my God, how'd you do it? You fragile disabled child. And I'm just like, 
I adapted and I did what I could with what I had, right? I, 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 I held on to the railing and I walked up the stairs. I, I used my butt to go down the stairs. You know, it's, it's all these things that people are like, oh my God, that's crazy. And for me, it was so normal. It was normal to use my butt to go down the stairs because it's not like I was walking down the stairs. Yeah. You know what I mean? So um, you adapted. That is amazing. Right. And like, I'm just, uh, go ahead. Those are the things that the agency never considered, right? Yeah. Because they saw my disability before they, like I said, before they saw anything else. And believe it or not, I actually, my, my spirituality is more important to me than having, you know, an accessible bathroom. Um, but the agency never asked me that. My identity and, and wanting to learn about my culture and things like that is more important to me than, you know, a one level apart, a one level house, right? Yeah. I can, I can walk upstairs. It might tire me out, but, you know, I, I need to lose some weight anyways, right? Like, <laughs> like you know, sitting in a wheelchair all day, you, you, you know, you, you're not burning any calories. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's like, it's so frustrating, right? Because on paper, they were trying to do everything right, but they were missing everything, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, that's facts. Can I just like talk on that for yeah, a second? Like, oh, you just nailed something on the head is that <laughs> this is like what a lot of people has been talking about, um, at least in my life recently. And what I've been seeing within the agency is that they want to do things right on paper, right? Not in the actual individual's life. Right. And it's really, it, it sometimes comes down to the optics. How is that agency going to be perceived on paper? Not how is that agency going to be perceived in that youth's lives? They don't prioritize the youth the way that they need to be, the way that they should be. And that's so crazy because you just mentioned how, like, wait, you have to bus to school to our bus ride for your commute? Like, they didn't give you or offer you a driver? I wish I could just throw a pencil at them right now. <laughs> I'm so frustrated. Yeah, and I think that's the scary thing, right? Because they see it's it's a checkbox, and if yeah. you identify, like I couldn't, like I couldn't imagine what it was, what it would be like to be a disabled youth in care and have a, you know to be a visual minority or to have a different religion right like i always uh, this is i'm not going to say what i say to my mom mm -hmm. um in the extent of like my humor my humor again is very very awful but I, I i essentially said to my mom it's really crappy about being in a wheelchair but i couldn't like and forgive me with what I'm about to say, mm -hmm. but I said, I couldn't imagine if I was a black woman in a wheelchair, right? Mm -hmm. Because then I would have more things for society to identify and pick, uh, you know, pick apart. And, you know, and it's scary because I've watched how my mom navigated, especially in this area where 
everybody's white and uh, you know you know yeah. anybody who happens to be um a different like you know a different race is probably your cousin you know what <laughs> i mean like that's that's how wild sarnia is i've had people be like you know you're 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 darker um and i'm just like yeah what's your point and the and and they pick it apart because they're wondering where i'm actually from and i'm like from canada from toronto and they're like no but where are you actually from? <laughs> and it's like well if you really want to know that gets a really graphic right yeah. um but uh I, I'm from Canada. <laughs> people yeah. ask the dumbest yeah. questions. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that, like, I need to stress here. Mm-hmm. I know that, like, you've had to adapt because you had no other choice to, you know? Like, they weren't able to accommodate for certain things. But here's the thing. You don't always have to settle you know, if things, if things could be easier for you and you could save some time in one aspect by just simply living in a place that has an elevator or being able to get a vehicle to pick you up and drop you off at school so you don't have to exert so much energy, these things that would support you, it could probably help you focus or dedicate more times in else, elsewhere that could help you advance further. And that's what I kind of like view certain things in my life. Like, Yes, I am struggling, but I am going to like get the supports here so I could focus on this and continue to advance myself and like uh, get ahead where I want to be, where I need to be, right? And so if these things are taken care of, I cannot shift my focus here. But if I if they're not taken care of and I have to settle and there's nothing I could do about it, absolutely nothing I could do about it, then shit, whatever. I will do it um, and I will suck it up. And I will give you an example super quickly. First year university, I get so triggered talking about this. So triggered. I basically yeah, just came out of like group homes and foster homes and stuff like that and went into campus. And um, I thought that I was gonna be all willy nilly, like leave the trauma behind. It's not gonna follow me. This is just like brand new clean slate. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. So like I was like around friend groups that were toxic and I'm not, I'm going, I'm going to be real. They were racist. There were a black group of friends that was racist towards white people. They just didn't like white people. And I didn't resonate with that. You know, I didn't respect that. And I didn't identify with that personally. And so one day I called them out and it went south. It went, I got super triggered. And obviously with my background, it affected me so much more emotionally than I expected. And so eventually what happened was like, like I, I got really heated. I ended up like walking away from that situation, but I was still super tense and I ended up kicking a window. Um, but my foot went through and I'm like, how did my skinny ass break this like safety glass steel cut window? Anyways, um, so I kicked it, my foot went through and I pulled it out. And like at that point I was underneath like a lot of shock because I knew I messed up my leg bad. Oh. oh yeah. And so then I walked to my room pretending like I'm not gonna look at it right now. I walked on that foot oh. and <laughs> um I looked down Sorry. at my leg. Yeah. Sorry, you're not into graphic stuff, are you? No, I, I'm cool with it, but my imagination is just I'm there. Right? Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. So I walked to my room and I looked down at my leg and I saw like a bunch of flesh and bone and stuff like that. It was bad. And so I'm like, 
and I screamed. And funny enough, the room right next to mine was having a party. And so I just walked over and I knocked on their door. I'm like, can you guys help me? And they looked at my leg and they were like, holy shit. And so, but like, that's not like the whole point of the story. The whole point of the story is that like, I kind of like had to suck it up because like I had, you know, I still want to complete my degree. I mm-hmm. still needed to like get myself together. And so it was, that happened during like October, November, it started to snow. I remember just being in my class and I had to move residences because that residence wasn't working out for me. And, and I remember packing up all of my stuff. I had nobody helping me move. And so like, I had to pack up all my stuff into like these uh, containers and stuff like that. And I had a trolley with my little crutches and everything like that, going back and forth at least a good 10 times moving myself to this new location and it was like there was a couple times I fell because it was icy and it was crap and it was just like it was it was tough but I had no other options and there's a bunch of scenarios like this where you think care just have to suck it up and deal with like the situation that's put in front of them and figure it out on their own and that's exactly what you did but the thing is that you didn't have to we don't have to right like we don't have to settle. This doesn't have to be our life. And if it doesn't, and there's something that could be done about it, like let's do it. Let's let's figure it out so we could just not have to stress about this and focus on more important things that could help us advance further. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I respect you. I went to like six different boss homes as a result. Six is a low number for a lot of people. But uh, it was a high number for me because uh, I, I didn't like people. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I and I think the reason why I only went to six is because I kind of I kind of developed a little bit of sch- scheming with CAS. Um, yeah. And I'm out of I'm out of um, I'm kind of out of care now, so I'm just gonna let it all out. They were going into their chasing zero. Um, and what Chasing Zero is in Sarnia is that no, they, they didn't want any kids in, in care. They didn't want any kids in group homes. And um, foster homes weren't working for me because, again, all they were considering were um, the fact that I was in a wheelchair and it needed to be accessible. CAS spent, like, my agency spent, like, $5,000 to retrofit this person's bathroom. And I stayed there for three days because, <gasps> because she got in my face and asked me if I wanted to fight her because I didn't get off my PlayStation at midnight. Now there's more to the story, obviously, but there was a, there was a, I don't want to say a culture clash, but the, the way I don't, I guess you would say a culture clash. Because I never played Monopoly as a family or played chess. Um, well, I played a lot of chess. Um, I didn't play family games. I didn't do movie night. I didn't, you know, have family dinner. And my foster parents hated that. They thought I was a hermit. They thought I, you know, wasn't listening to them. What they didn't understand is that was really, really hard for me because there was a lot of trauma there. There was a lot of frustration. I wasn't good at talking to people. I didn't want to talk about my life. I didn't want to talk about what happened at school because I hated it. 
didn't want to talk about anything. I wanted to go in my room and isolate because life was scary. Yeah. There, there was no, when I, when I got on a game, for example, and I joined a, a, a match online and I'm talking to somebody, nobody knows that I'm different. Nobody mm -hmm. knows that there's something quote unquote wrong with me, right? Um, the moment I go outside is the moment um, I'm different. And nobody understood that. And they saw my isolation as a, as a, a way to fight back. Mm -hmm. And if anything, I wasn't trying to fight back at all. I was trying to do the complete opposite. I was trying to stay out of their way and I think the reason I always apologize is because I feel like I'm in the way. I feel like because society has consistently reminded me that there is something wrong with me, mm -hmm. that I'm, I'm not supposed to be here. And I'm yeah. not supposed, and it's, that gets right into some dangerous territory. But I, I consistently feel that way. And I'll go on a bus, for example, and I will, somebody will step out of the way for me. And instead of saying thank you to them, which I wish I could, I apologize because uh, I go, oh, should I, they had to move out of the way. That's so inconvenient for them, but it's really not. Yeah. Right? It's, it's so easy for them, but I, I, I've been so trained by society and my living situation that being different, being you know, having different needs than the normal person, because everybody has needs. If you don't, you're crazy. But having needs that are different from society's norms makes you in the way. Having, like, because I need a wheelchair and my wheelchair costs $23,000, dollars 25 and that's not an exaggeration, right? Um, I need social assistance, but people go to me and they're like, why would you be on social assistance? I'm like, well, here's the thing about my argument with social assistance is I get it. I, I, I'm very, very, very against people abusing that system, right? Because I need that system and I'd rather not be judged for being on that system. I say to the, the guy who says that people on social assistance are this horrible being, right? Um, and I asked him, I said, well, if you had a job opening right now, would you hire me? Would you hire me to be in that job? And they go, well, no, because you can't do the job. And I'm like, and that's the problem. That's the problem right there. You complain that I'm on the system, right? And you complain that I'm on the assistance but you don't give me the opportunity because you're afraid because I'm different. Yeah. So how do I make money if I'm not given the opportunity to make that money? Yes. Before I got my job working for the agency, I applied at the movie theater of my local movie theater and they said I was too disabled to work. Ah. And, and what I find crazy about that is before they visually identified that I was in a wheelchair, I had that job already because my resume was fantastic. I had all my, you know, certifications and everything was fine. But the second they identified a challenge or what they thought to have would be a challenge, 
They said, no, I wanted to fight those guys and go to court, but I'm like, I don't want to fight a bunch of lawyers so I can get a job that I don't want to be at. I was so deflated because I'm like, man, what's the point of even going to college and getting a degree if I can't even get a job in a movie theater because everybody is just scared to give me an opportunity. I hated it. And I, I like, because I'm like, I, I'm, I'm living on my own and I'm, I'm going to be on the system for the rest of my life and I hate everything and I don't want to be like, I just, I was like, what's the point? What yeah. is the point of doing anything if I'm consistently just waking up, living my life, you know, waiting for the next check to show up because mm-hmm. I'm trying to put myself out there and trying to say that I'm different, but in society, in society's view, I'm, I'm the same in the most negative way possible. Right? Yeah. I'm not the same to them, I'm just another guy on the system to them. Yeah. But, um, um, sorry, I don't mean to go on a side rant. But uh, then I got my job at the agency. And then I did um, my CYC course. And, you know, I, I still feel really, really crappy about a lot of the things. Life is weirdly going on an upscale. But that's the most intimidating part because it's never gone on an upscale. Mm-hmm. I've always been a floater. I've always been, I've always had to adapt. I've always had to figure things out. And for the first time, I haven't found myself having to adapt to anything. Like, yeah. I found an apartment. I got two cats. I'm, you know, I'm making consistent good money. I'm in school. I'm completely bombing, but uh, I'm in school. That's good. <laughs> I'm not giving up and that I don't want to be like oh my god the disabled guy is not giving up I'm just not giving up because I I just I don't feel like it yes um there's no there's no inspiration there's no there's no oh I want to do amazing things like of course I want to do amazing things I'm not going to tell you that some some guy told me this one thing and it changed my life forever I want to tell you that giving up is boring. Yes. Right? Um, Yes. Oh, you, I just, I'm so happy I met you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And thank you. I'm happy I met you too. I have a weird privilege that if I drop out of school, right, and I don't decide to do anything with my life, and it's, it's, again, I say weird privilege, I can live off the system for the rest of my life and still vibe. I don't pay a lot of rent because, you know, housing and uh, I, the fact that I have a disability, they don't charge me a lot of rent. So if I wanted to, I could just quit and not do anything and be yeah. another person on the system. Yeah. But I don't want to do that. And it's not because I'm, yeah, it's not because I want to change the world and, you know, oh my gosh, just because that would be really, really boring. I want to be able to, like, if my cat, you know, decides to do something stupid, I want to be able to get him a surgery, you know? Yeah. I want to be able to go to the dentist and say, you know, I want to get my ugly tooth fixed. How do I do that? You know what I mean? I want to be able to do those things and live a boring, boring dad life. Facts. And it's not even just that. It's also 
like that feeling of accomplishments when you yourself has earned something you know Mm -hmm. that like you've earned the things that you've had have in your possession right now and it's not just been given to you so let me ask you this let's say somebody were to step into your life right now really like challenge you and push you to like your limits obviously being accommodating and being like I think the whole thing about being a support for somebody who's kind of stuck in poverty or vulnerable is like not pushing them so far out of their limits where it's just too much and too stressful and you know causes a lot more anxiety and trauma but just enough where they're constantly advancing at least one or ten percent every single day where they eventually get to where they are like if somebody were to walk in your life cough cough let's say me um (laughs) and we're like yo let me challenge you let me say that like obviously I will still recognize that there's certain limitations but like I will be accommodating but I still want to challenge you as if or would you want somebody to challenge you as if you had no limitations basically should be my question yeah I I think that that I've always I live by that that is my 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 okay my motto okay um because I'll give you an example right and uh that's kind of where my sense of humor comes from is that no limitations and why I'm so open to ask questions because we have to talk about things that we're uncomfortable with. We have to say things we're uncomfortable with. Uh, my aunt has Down syndrome. Um, and a lot of people talk to her as if she's a child, right? Um, and they're like, oh, Kelly, do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? And it's so annoying and frustrating because she knows exactly what she's doing. Yeah. She, she learns things at a slower rate. Some days, so do I. <laughs> um, and uh, I challenge her every day I see her, right? She, she, she comes to me and she goes, what day is it? I'm like, you got a damn calendar, use it, right? Facts. Ooh, I, I, love it. I, I talk to her like I would anybody else. Yes. And, you know, the fact that I even have to say that I do that is frustrating. But yeah. I have to because people are like, oh my gosh, you gotta be you gotta be nice to her. Or like nah. talking to your 90-year-old grandma. Grandma sounds stupid, she's just old, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh my god. Like, like grandma's not your like like I like I want you to imagine something, right? And um I find it really interesting that the way we talk to babies. And the way we talk to our dog are the same, right? People, people are like, don't talk to your baby like a dog, but we do it all the time, right? <laughs> and I, I'm never going to talk to my, my kid that way if I ever, you know, have the privilege of having a kid. I'm never going to talk to my kid like that. Of course, I'm not going to tell my kid to go fuck himself if he's being an asshole, right? But, but uh, I, I'm not, uh, I'm going to talk to him like I, like I would talk to a child. Uh, because I, I hate baby talk and I hate animal talk. I talk to my cat like I would, you know, my brother, right? If my cat's being a jerk, I'm like, hey, you're being a jerk. Stop it. You know what I mean? Um, and uh, I talk to, you know, people with disabilities the same way I talk to everything else, Good. right? Yeah. Um, but I, I, that kind of brings me to my other point is, it's like I hear people talk to people with disabilities like they would their dog or their child, 
And it's just like, so it's so wild that I even have to say that I talk to my aunt like a normal human being. Why is that even something I need to identify? You know what I mean? That is the root of the issue. You know what I mean? Is we need to pick that apart and wonder why that question is even being brought up. Yeah, it's like our own insecurity. And I think it's like also, you also kind of have to like think about today's day and age where people are so sensitive about Mm. everything. Like nobody wants to hurt anybody's feelings because of this whole canceled culture. And like, you know, we're walking on eggshells around everybody on social media. Except me. Well, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, And so it's sometimes it's like, boundaries we have to figure out who it is um that we're engaging with and how what is the level of comfort that we could have or in regards to conversations well and i find i i especially on the cancel culture given my sense of humor and given the fact that i say awful things one of my worst things is if somebody does something really stupid i say wow and i thought i was the disabled one so hard not to laugh because like i listened back to my podcast episode and i hate my laugh it's so loud it's okay my laugh is just like it's like it's different every time so uh, no judgment some people will listen to that and they're like oh my god you're canceled and i'm like why right like my goal is to not offend people yeah but to make people aware that you know you could laugh about the shitty things yeah in life. i i was at a, a youth can conference and i'm with a friend i'm talking in my friend group and i make a joke about my wheelchair i don't even remember what it is and i was so annoyed because somebody from outside the group goes well what if somebody made a disabled joke to you uh, that's not funny and i'm like well there's two things here. If, if somebody random made a disabled joke to me, you know, given on how big they were and if I, if I, I feel like I could take them, I would, I would probably, you know, give them a, you know, a kick right in the face or something. You know what I mean? Uh, but you just like, visualize that. <laughs> oh, I got little baby kicks, but I will kick. We'll check. Yeah, it's just, uh, people get so offended. And I, I find a lot of people get offended on my behalf. Yeah. Right? Um, and uh, if people say, oh, I'm going out for a walk, they're like, oh my God, Gabe's in the room. Don't say the W word. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? What? Like, what's the W word? And they're like, walk. And I'm like, Oh my God, you're so stupid. I can't even like say, or I can't even cringe at that because I guaranteed I'll probably be the same way because I was never unsure. So I I gotta stop like acting like I wouldn't be the same way because mm. I'm always trying to be, that's the thing about me personally. I don't like hurting people's feelings and I don't want anybody to feel like uncomfortable or like something. I don't yeah, want to cause of the source or something like that. And I'm the type of guy who runs into a room naked until somebody tells me that they don't like it. Oh God. Like, 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 I'm not gonna literally do that. Yeah. Um because when I don't run. <laughs> <laughs> 
people feel like they're valued, right? Like uh, every time I've talked about my disability with a worker, it's it's just because we just start talking about it. Yeah. There's no, there's no build up. There's no things that we can't say. There's no, does this hurt your feelings? It's, we just talk about it. And if we don't like what's being talked about, we stop the conversation. And I don't understand why we can't just start that. A lot of good answers come out of uncomfortable questions. Talk to me about, you know, my identity. Talk to me about my race. Talk to me about, you know, um, my wheelchair. And if you want to ask what it's like to take a poop in a wheelchair, I'll tell you what it's like to take a poop in a wheelchair. You know what I mean? Like that, who knows what that might solve if we have the answer to those kind of things. You know what I mean? But yeah. like that, that's, that's how open I am. Sometimes I pee in a urinal to feel normal, right? But it's so dumb, but it's so, it's so just real. And, you know, there's no formality there. There's no, how do you ask a certain question, right? My answer is, is you just ask it and you're going to get answers that you didn't expect because you're asking questions that they didn't expect. You know what I mean? <laughs> My cat hit the mute button. But what I was saying is if you're a white worker and you're trying to figure out how to navigate working with a black youth, let them lead the way. Yes. You know what I mean? Um, yes. Don't try to read a book and say, this is how we serve a black youth because that, that's not it. You like, ask them. Exactly. Um, have that uncomfortable conversation and say, I have no idea what I'm doing here. Teach me. Back. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's the same with my wheelchair. If they said to me, well, my grandma's in a wheelchair, so this is what we're going to do for you. I'm going to say, I'm about <laughs> to put you in a wheelchair. So why do we do that on any other scale? It's such an easy solution to just say, how do you do want? This? Yes. Right. And it's, it's so. It's, it's dumb that we even have to ask that question in 2021. I guess we do because people are slow learners, you know what I mean? And I agree. And I, I think that's really like the major message of Project Dallas Riders is like, yo, let us just take that control. We've mm -hmm. been having conversations for so many years. Like you and me, Gabe, have been, oh, I don't even know why I did not bring this up. Me and Gabe both work for the Youth for Change Steering Committee at the Ontario Association of Children's Aid Society. And so I've known Gabe for quite some time. He's come to quite a bit of like the meetings. And that's the whole thing about Project Elsewhere is that we want to say that, okay, we're done talking. We want to see more action. Like we want to fill in those gaps of communication for, for sure um, and leave it all out there. But we don't want to constantly have, them have the same conversation decade after decade with a bunch of different generations who are complaining about the same thing. You know, it's like one, you and me, we've aged out. And so we're not currently experiencing what's happening inside the foster care system, but I guarantee it's the same thing that we've experienced. And they're going to be complaining about the same things and they have been, right? And so it's because there's no follow-up, there's no strategy, there's no not enough action, right? And, and, and so that's why we're really trying to eventually create a program or like a service that we can provide for the agencies to teach them what, how to be more trauma-informed, how to properly collaborate with youth in care, 
and giving you guys proper training about like um, how to kind of like deal with the idea of the foster care system and how to properly uh, change the outcomes for youth and care in a more positive way. What is something that you now know today that you wish you have known while you're in foster care or while you're like, you know, yeah, while you're in care? It, I asked this question to everybody and they all blank out. They're like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I'm 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 pretty I'm pretty much a floater. So there's not like there's not like anything that stands out really. It can even just be like policy, like oh, I now know I can have access to my files and right. I like, like something like that. Fun. That that's crazy too, right? Like, uh, um, there's so many things that I was quote unquote able to ask my worker, right? that was never brought up to me. Like I, I was able to ask her if I could read, you know, the policies and give her updates and feedback on that, but nobody ever told me that, you know what I mean? Yeah. I was able to ask about the youth and transition worker and have them, you know, do check-ins check on me, but I, I had no idea about that, right? And it's so weird, like what even is the youth and transition worker? Do you guys do you guys even have one in your area? What what even is the role of that? And why is there only one? Right? There's so many kids aging out. And you're gonna tell me one worker is helping them transit the transition to aging out? Like it's it's so silly, right? But it's the way they do things and uh you know, I kind of want to leave on a high note, though, if that's okay. Of course. The agency has had a lot of hiccups when it comes to handling of my disability. It's been a lot of tokenism. And then, and then I tell them I'm half black and they're like, oh my God, it's another, it's another identity, right? Like, and then it's just like, wow, they, they want to invite me to an all black youth committee. And I'm like, I live in Sarnia. You know, <laughs> there's no black people that's here, right? That's fine, so. Uh, yeah. and, and they will notice that as soon as I show up there that I, I am I'm nowhere a part of this, you know what I mean? It's like, it's it's tokenism and the way they handle it is so awful in the sense of my foster system, like my foster care. And I didn't get to go into it, but how the transition with living with my dad went to living on my own and kind of, pushing me off to the social systems after the agency, right? To ODSP because they didn't know how to handle me anymore. Right? So they pushed me off to ODSP and said, well, you're still part of CAS, but we're not gonna give you any support. My agency in particular is doing a lot of wild and good things. Yeah. We have youth engagement, um, which is fully youth led, where we bring out, you know, where we bring out those uncomfortable conversations of what the agency needs to improve on. Like the other day they asked us, what, what do they want? What, what do we want from their latest budget? And I'm just like, what? They, they've never asked us that before. Ooh, right? nice. yeah. um, or the strategic plan. Where yes. Usually there's a business doing that. And we got a bunch of college and high school kids putting it together. And nice. the agency, and I'm just like, that's exactly what we need to do, right? Yes. And well, I, I got to sit in on board meetings and 
staff meetings and for so many people that would be boring but for me i got to see what it was like to look look at what the agency does and how they approve things and yeah you know the fact that it's not just some dude in a suit sitting in an office it's a actual board made up of people who aren't attached to CAS and it was so eye-opening and I'm just like well they're trying in some aspects they are like the fact that I'm there and saying that I could do that is a step in the right direction 100 I agree there was a lot of yelling and screaming to get there there was that yelling and screaming isn't going anywhere that's a good thing I think because if there was nothing to yell about, then that would mean everything was going perfect. Or the opposite. Everything's the going opposite. to be really bad and they're just silencing them, just like ever right. before. So I'm going to keep yelling at them. I have a pretty loud voice. I'm going to keep doing my thing on this end. I really, really hope that once we do the strategic plan, that other agencies catch on and yes. do this because... This is, this is something that the community is putting together. Yes. And I've heard it for so many years that we need community involvement and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, there's a you know guy in an office with a suit and tie putting together the strategic plan for the entire community. I'm happy that they're doing that. And I'm glad that they're putting that together. And so, yeah, that's, that's, that's my rant. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> I am writing all this down because I think you said some really important, valuable things that, you know, I want to remember and take back. York has been doing the same thing. York Region Children's Day Society has had a really, like, huge hit in the face or, like, a huge realization that they have been not operating the way that they should be, and they're doing something about it. And I'm very grateful to be a part of that strategy and of, like, just improving and I think it's the effort that is now fully being recognized or um, that they're now putting in. It's just appreciated, but we have a long way to go. <laughs> a oh, really yeah. long way to go. It's one step at a time. I'm just so grateful that we could continue to have these conversations with people like you, with everybody else who's been on our show so far and learn and continue to learn because like everything that has been said from you from everybody has been so valuable and educational <laughs> like that's what i love about this is educational and so thank you gabe thank, thank you, you so much for like can i can i yeah. say one more thing do we have oh, yeah. time right um my dad and foster parents would always point out you know a disabled guy and be like you see if he could do it you can do it and yeah you know that sounds motivational but i hate it yeah it's so off i look at these speakers and i'm like good for them i'm i'm glad for them but each we're all individuals right and my dad used to always say to me why don't you join the paralympics there's so many disabled guys who can do the like who are in the olympics and they're they're super strong and if you just tried a little harder you could do it too and i'm just like you know, I was so mad at myself because I'm like, I'm looking at all these motivational wheelchair folks and I'm like, you know, I want to do that. But then I realized something. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. The whole reason why my dad is not in the Olympics is because he doesn't like sports. Yeah. <laughs> he likes exactly. watching them, right? And so I said to my dad and I challenged my dad, if you're asking me why I'm in the Paralympics, why aren't you in the Olympics? Exactly. You can walk. 
you can run. You can't jump because you're a... But he can walk and he can run, right? Um, And, uh, like, I always say to people, right, just because there is somebody who's quote-unquote doing it better and you can relate to them, whether that be, you know, through identity, through, you know, race, through whatever, you don't have to be that person. Like, just do your own damn thing. Right. I hate playing sports. I love watching them. I'm more of a computer guy. I'm more of an archie guy. I play instruments, right? Nice. Like I don't want to unless there's a Paralympics for violinists, you know, um, then I, I'm not interested. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I don't care about how motivational the guy in the wheelchair is because mm-hmm. I don't want to be a motivational speaker. I just kind of want to vibe and live my life. And I really think that uh, people see these successful and amazing people and they get so frustrated and they're like, man, why aren't I doing that with my life? And I'm just like, because you're you're doing you, you're doing your own thing. And, you know, it might not be huge and you might not be doing the Paralympics or the Olympics or being a motivational speaker, but there's a reason why you're not doing that. Yeah. probably because you don't want to (laughs) and it's okay to not want to do something it's okay to say that guy's really good at throwing a ball so maybe I should try it give it a shot Mm -hmm. it's always good to try things but if you don't like it don't think that there's something wrong with you find out what you're good at find out what you're passionate about do that right if there's something you can't do Learn how to learn how to make it possible if you want to do that. <laughs>